This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Leviticus chapter 25. Book of Leviticus chapter 25. And we'll read some verses together, beginning at verse 1. So Leviticus 25, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. And ye shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest ye shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, your male and female and servants, your hard hand, your hard man and female servants the stranger who dwells with you for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land all its produce shall be food for food and you shall count seven sabbaths of years for yourself seven times seven years and the time of the seven sabbath of years shall be to you forty-nine years then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee, and it shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's land, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell it to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells it to you according to the number of years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Just as a little aside before we continue, just another couple of verses. Uh, The year of Jubilee was a time uh, when all uh, land went back to its original owners. And so depending if you were going to buy land, and so if you're out to buy land for whatever reason of someone, for whatever reason, and uh, it had many, many years to go to the next Jubilee, when it would be back to its original owner, then it's going to cost you a lot more. But if it's only a few years, say two or three or four years to go to the next Jubilee, then it's going to cost you a lot less. I suppose like out buying your car. If your car had only 500 miles on it when you got it, it's going to cost you a lot more than if I had 100,000 miles on it. Simple as that. So God was looking for equity here uh, and fairness and not to oppress one another. Uh, not to uh, cash in on one another and, and try to cheat one another. That's what he's saying. 
So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. And it will bring forth enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat the old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. Let's just stop there. God instructed, <coughs> excuse me, God instructed Moses uh, to tell the people of Israel that whenever they would come into the promised land, that they were to cultivate the land according to his ways, his instructions. And so first of all, every seventh day would be a Sabbath rest day. Then every seven years would be a Sabbath rest year. And just like the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year also would uh, have no work done uh, in the fields. Obviously, work could be done around their homes, but no work could be done cultivating their fields. And then there were a kind of series of seven Sabbath years. And there were a kind of series of seven Sabbath years would bring it to 49 years. And then the next year, the 50th year, would be the year of Jubilee. And so these were his instructions. Now the word Jubilee is Yobel, which means ram's horn. A blasting of the ram's horn or the trumpets and it was a signal and a sound that the year of Jubilee uh, had come in. And this blasting of the horn would occur, occur on the 10th day of the seventh month. Seventh month in the Jewish calendar would be uh, our September, October time. And it would be that end of harvest time. And so this would be the great day of atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month, which was the most sacred day uh, in the Jewish calendar. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more, obviously, about this Jubilee year in a moment. But the Jubilee year would require faith. It would require trust on the part of God's people who would be wholly dependent upon God. And, of course, during the Jubilee year, like a Sabbath year, there would be neither uh, plowing or sowing or raping or any such thing. All cultivation would stop. The land would lie fallow, and uh, that would be that. And... Uh, you see then how there would be a concern because in the 49th year, the seven series of seven, the 49th year would also be a Sabbath year in which there would be cultivation, there'd be no work in the fields. And then that would be immediately followed by the 50th year, which again there would be no cultivation in the fields, no plowing, no sowing, no reaping, no harvest. And so you can see the concern that they would have, well, what are we going to do? Now, there are some who would say in this reading that we have just read together, it's a bit ambiguous. I have read it about 20 times. I have, I have researched it, and it's a little bit ambiguous. There's some who say that during the Sabbath year, or even during the Jubilee year, that that which grew naturally in the fields, that they were not uh, cultivating, that they were allowed to eat of that. And yet it says you're not allowed to, uh, to harvest anything of the untended vine. Uh, 
But it may mean, they say, some commentators say, that just simply may mean that they weren't to harvest it in an organized way, the way they would normally do, where the reapers would go in and they reap all of the harvest, but they just let it go. Whatever would be growing naturally, then they could go in each day and just eat of that, including those who live with them and their family, or even their oxen, whatever. But be that as it may, it still would be a great concern because once the 49th year came, it was a Sabbath year followed by a Jubilee year, then the next year, then they could sow, but they would have to wait to reap to the following year. So this was a big concern to them. No wonder they asked what they were going to do during this time. So verse 20 says, And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow or gather in the produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and I shall bring forth produce enough for three years. And you will sow in the eighth year and eat the old produce until the ninth year, until the produce comes in. You shall eat of the old harvest. So God had made contingency plans for them, but it would require dependence upon God, complete and utter dependence upon God. Now, sadly, there is no evidence scripturally that they actually followed the formula that God had laid down. That when they did come into the land, there's no scriptural evidence that they actually did what God said. And that's always a problem when we do not do what God tells us to do. It's always going to cause problems, and it certainly caused lots of problems for them. In fact, at one point, God allowed them to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years because they had neglected every Sabbath year. And 70 times 7 is 490. So for 490 years, at least for 490 years, they had not obeyed God's word in doing this. And for that, and other reasons, but primarily for that, God allowed them to go into captivity because they continually refused to do what God said to do. And it would have been such a blessing for them if they had have done this. But from what we understand, they did not do this. Now, you can switch your brains back on again. All right? Mass lessons is over, well, almost. Now, the reason why I said all that was to say this, that the year of Jubilee is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jubilee is a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Everything Jubilee stood for stands for Jesus. Everything Jubilee speaks of speaks of Jesus. Everything Jubilee points to points to the Lord Jesus. How so? That's my message this morning. I don't want to just have like a history lesson of Israel back then. It's got to apply to us today. And thankfully, it does apply to us today. You know, when you're, some of you now have started because Martin challenged you there uh, just a few weeks ago to start your, your, a daily reading plan throughout the new year. I'm not going to ask to put your hands up how many is doing that. But if you haven't started and you're planning to, then I would encourage to read through your Bible. But often you'll find when reading through your Bible, when you come to the book of Leviticus, you'll find it tough reading. And there's a tendency to, to, to quickly flick over that. But don't do that. There's much in the book, of Revel, uh, the book of Leviticus that you can receive from it. It's all there for our admonition. First of all, Jubilee was a time of rest. One full year of rest. No work. 
No hard labor in the fields, no plowing, no sowing, nothing like that to be done at all. Complete rest, not only for you as the farmer, as it were, but for the land itself. It's always good for the land to rest. Today we have intensive farming where the land doesn't really get rest. And we have to feed the land with all kinds of (laughs) nutrients in order to grow our crops. But in those days, for a very good reason, God says, let the land rest. And it would do it good. And it would do them good uh, for at least for that particular year. Now remember, Jubilee fell on the 50th year following the 49th year, which was the Sabbath year. And so for these couple of years and into the next year, until the following year, then they would have no real harvest. But remember, God said, Just before that, the year before the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year, I'm going to give you a triple harvest. Trust me. Believe me. Commit to me. Do it my way. And I will promise you, I will give you a triple harvest so that you will have enough and more to get you through until your next harvest, whenever that may be. So that challenged their faith and their trust and their belief in the goodness of God. Now, what was God trying to teach them here? He was trying to show them that even the very labor of their own hands, that their own works could not give them three harvests in one year. Only God could do this. Now, there would be some years that would have a better harvest than others in the natural run of things. But only God could supply them with three harvests in one year. And he was showing them that this was his grace, his favor. Nothing about them, nothing about the work of their hands. His grace, his favor would see them through. Are you beginning to see what I'm getting at today? It's not the work of our hands. It's not the labor of our hands that saves us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace, his favor. Only he can do what he can do. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. Amen. And so man has always had a difficulty with grace. The natural man wants to somehow earn and work his way into God's favor. Whatever God that may be, he's trying to earn the favor of. But our God, you cannot work into his favor. It's all by his grace. Yes, we do good works after we come to saving faith. But that's not to save us. We're already saved. But the works that we do, God will bless, but not for salvation. That is completely and utterly of his grace and his mercy that we are saved. So it was a time of rest. God was showing them that it was his mercy and grace would see them through. And God was also showing them that the year of Jubilee was the greatest rest of all. It was a special time, a special year. And Jesus is our rest. And he is our greatest rest. If we want rest in our souls, rest in our hearts, peace in our spirit, then it's in Christ. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you 
Rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In Hebrews chapter 3, If we could begin reading from verse 7 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, You shall not enter into my rest. Beware therefore, brethren, lest any of you in an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily what it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest... Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed to enter into that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter into my rest. Therefore, it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day there remains therefore a rest for the people of God for he who has entered into his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his therefore let us be diligent to enter into that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And our rest is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not fail to enter into his rest, because his rest is our rest. Remember, he says, my peace I give unto you. Not as the word gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That speaks of rest in Christ, does it not? Then this year of Jubilee speaks of restoration. Twice in Leviticus 25, it says that every man shall return to his own possession. Now, for a number of reasons, uh, some people lost their possession. They lost their land. They lost their home. 
uh, maybe through incapacity, maybe through illness, maybe through bad budgeting, maybe through being cheated, but they lost their possession. And the year of Jubilee came, they got back their possession. What was rightfully theirs in the first place, now it was restored to them. So you can see why the year of Jubilee was such a wonderful year. All debts were cancelled. Anybody who was not now living in their original home or their original parcel of land, it was automatically given back to them. And so the year of Jubilee was a wonderful, wonderful time of restoration. Have you lost your possession, your inheritance? What belonged to you? And Jubilee means it can be restored. God can find a way to make up for what you have lost. Jesus is our Jubilee. He came to restore all that the devil has stolen from us. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. There's something about the year of Jubilee that was wonderful, that was almost beyond belief that they could have everything restored to them again. In Joel 2.25, And I will restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. Isaiah 61 and 6 and 7, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord, and they shall call you servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you will have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess double, and everlasting joy shall be theirs. Now, I understand that those scriptures I have read primarily refer to Israel. I understand that. But there's a principle where something can apply to us today. Amen. Jesus is our jubilee today. In Job 42 and 12, at the end of the book of Job, now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. In fact, if you read that on, you'll see that he gave him twice as much as he had lost. <clears throat> Jesus is our jubilee. He is our peace. He's our joy. He's the one who blesses. He's the one who restores. He's the one who gives back. What a jubilee we have in Christ. And then the third thing that jubilee stood for was relinquishing. Relinquishing. Everyone had to relinquish something or someone. Knowing how tightly we hold to that which is ours, it was going to be a challenge. Even if it was somebody else's land, even if you had it for years, there's going to come a point you'd have to relinquish it. Even if it was a slave, there's going to come a point you'd have to relinquish that slave. And so here was a challenge to relinquish, to give up. It cost obedience, sacrifice, trust, a willingness to let go. 
because God said it. What would we let go if God said so? What would we lay down if God said so? It may not even be in your case that he would actually want you to let down, but he'd want your willingness to let down. He'd want to know, are you willing? When Abraham was tested with his son Isaac, and he lifted the knife, and God had to stop him in the nick of time because he would have plunged it into the heart of his own son because God asked him to. And God says, now you're willing. I see your willingness. I see you would have done it, but I don't want you to do it. I've got a sacrifice. I've got a ram caught in the thicket. You don't have to do it, but I saw your willingness to do it. That was the challenge, and the challenge was met. It was a year of relinquishing. Jesus is our pattern for this, is he not? Whoever relinquished more than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You remember in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, did not consider it something to be held onto and grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and came obedient even to the very death of the cross. All that position in glory with the Father. He didn't relinquish his divinity, his deity, but all those privileges, all those rights, all that glory. You know, in John 17, when he prays that great prayer, his prayer, one of the things he desires that we would see him in the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. And he gave all of that up. He relinquished all of that to come to this earth in the body of of a man for you and for me. So he is our great pattern, the one who relinquished everything. And Luke chapter 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25, <coughs> excuse me. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now hate is a very strong word there, and it's not written the way that we normally would think about that. If anyone does not prefer me above them, is the true meaning of that. Not that he wants us to hate anybody, never mind our loved ones, but it's preferring him above them. He cannot 
be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether it's enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And what king going out to war to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And forsake there means to renounce, to relinquish, to give up the right of. Not that everyone will have to sell everything they have. but be willing to do it if we were asked. Now that is a big demand, isn't it? And he says, if we're not willing, we cannot be his disciple. No wonder sometimes when Jesus preached, the crowd went away and he was all left with few disciples. Will you go also? Jesus would get rid of a crowd very quickly by some of the challenges he put upon them. And he challenges us. The year of Jubilee was a great year of relinquishing, of giving up. Jesus gave up everything for us. It was a great year of releasing, of liberation. Imagine if you were a slave... And Jubilee is coming up. And you're on the countdown of the days and the hours and the minutes. Soon you're going to get your possession back. Soon you're going to get your dignity back. Soon you're going to get your family back. Now, if your family was with you in slavery, they would automatically be released with you. But if they weren't, then you're going to get your family back. You're going to get back to your family. So the countdown is on. It's the 49th year. It's the first day. It's the second day. The third day. The fourth. The fifth. The sixth. The seventh day. The eighth day. It's the ninth day. One more sleep. (laughs) One more day to go. Just a few more hours and the trumpet will sound and you will be released. (laughs) Huh. What a release that is going to be. Jesus is our jubilee. He's our releaser. He's our liberator. We are no longer slaves to sin. Hallelujah. No longer held by the devil. Released to serve and to love him and to walk with him. We are free to go because of Christ. Whom the Son makes free is free indeed. John 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Galatians 5.1. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Be liberated. Be free, Paul says. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 has set me free from the law of sin and death. Jubilee means we're free. Glory to God. Can you say amen to that? We are free because of what Christ has done. Jubilee is a time of rejoicing. I firstly remember that the tenth day of the seventh month, which is when Jubilee began, was the great day of atonement. That was the day whenever those in Israel afflicted themselves with prayer and fasting. That was a day of national repentance where the whole nation to a man had to repent of their sins. That was a day whenever the high priests, once a year, had to go in to the holiest of holies with a sacrifice. Not only for his sins, but for the sins of the whole nation. And while he was in there, he was the only one allowed into the holiest of holies, and he could only do that one time a year. While he was in there, those outside had to make their own sacrifice for their sins but they were anxious and they were waiting. Would God accept the high priest? Would God accept the sacrifice of the high priest? Would he ever come out alive? And so you can imagine it was an anxious time of waiting and wait they had to. But then the waiting was over and the high priest would come out and they would know he was out. And in their hearts, they must have rejoiced because they would know at that point that their sins had been covered at least for another year as the Old Testament way. Their sins had been covered. The high priest had been accepted. His offering had been accepted. Their sins were covered and they were free for another year. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is the one who went into the holiest of holies. He was the one who not only was our high priest, but he was the one who was our sacrifice. He was the one who, whose blood was shed. He was the one who had to go back to the Father. He was the one who presented his blood as the sacrifice for our sins. And after three days, he rose again, and he began to show himself to men. And what a rejoicing in the disciples' hearts when they saw the Lord. <laughs> what a rejoicing there must have been in their hearts when they saw the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 
Verse 23 of Hebrews 9. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear the second time apart from sin for salvation. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things can never in these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For then they not would have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder, a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In the Old Testament they were covered. This has taken them away. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies became his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and into their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Christ is our sin offering. Christ is our great high priest. Christ is our jubilee. Now here's the wonderful thing about jubilee. If you were a slave. Slaves only were a slave for six years. And on the seventh year they were released. The only exception to that of course would be that if that slave somehow or other could gather up enough money to pay their debt, then they could go free. Or if a near relative could pay the debt for them, then they would go free. That near relative was called a kinsman redeemer. They would redeem them from that debt to go free. And the kinsman redeemer, that whole scenario is beautifully played out in the little book of Ruth between Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Now, when it comes to the year of Jubilee, and here's the other wonderful thing about Jubilee, is 
just say you had only three years to go. When Jubilee came, you didn't have to serve those three years. You were immediately released. If you had one year to go, you didn't have to serve that. You were immediately released. If you had five years to go, you didn't have to serve that. You were immediately released. Isn't that wonderful? No wonder, no wonder they were so glad for Jubilee. No wonder in their hearts they would rejoice for Jubilee. And here we are, having no means to pay our debt to God. Having no one who could pay our debt to God to let us go free. But then came one, our kinsman redeemer. Hmm? One who came in human flesh. Arguably. And whenever you and I get saved, we get washed in the blood of the Lamb. Immediately, we were free. Our indebtedness was gone. It was all paid on the cross for us. This is the wonderful thing about Jubilee. We who could not pay, we had no one to pay, suddenly Jesus came and he paid the price for us that we may go free. Glory to God. Just one more scripture and we're through. Scripture you know very well. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The NIV says, the year of God's favor. Now there are many commentators who believe that the year of the Lord is this jubilee that begun with Christ, our jubilee, that begun with Christ going to the cross, buried in the tomb, rose again from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, and ever since has been his year of favor. For this past 2,000 years, the grace of God has been poured out upon us. His favor has been extended. The acceptable year of the Lord. You know, whenever he read from Isaiah 61, he just stopped short when he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stopped short and he closed the book. Because the next verse reads, and the day of vengeance of our God, which hasn't come yet, but is coming and will come, but hasn't come yet. So it could be, according to many commentators, that we are now living in this extended jubilee, the year of the favor of our Lord. 
acceptable year of the Lord. Aren't you glad for his grace today? Aren't you glad for his mercy? Aren't you glad that he's our jubilee? That these things in the Old Testament were for our admonition that we may see Christ in them. Glory to God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk